Chapter Twenty One of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One. When David had been in New York about three weeks, he happened one day to pass the house where Kate Leavenworth was living. Kate was standing listlessly by the window, looking into the street. She was cross and felt a great depression settling over her. The flirtation with Harry Temple had begun to pall upon her. She wanted new worlds to conquer. She was restless and feverish. There was not excitement enough in the life that she was living. She would like to meet more people, senators and statesmen, and to have plenty of money to dress as became her beauty and be admired publicly. She half wished for the return of her husband and meditated making up with him for the sake of going to Washington to have a good time in society there. What was the use of running away with a naval officer if one could not have the benefit of it? She had been a fool. Here she was almost to the last penny, and so many things she wanted. No word had come from her husband since he sent her the money at sailing. She felt a bitter resentment toward him for urging her to marry him. If she had only gone on and married David, she would be living a life of ease now, plenty of money, nothing to do but what she pleased, and no anxiety whatever, for David would have done just what she wanted. Then suddenly she looked up, and David passed before her. He was walking with a tall, splendid-looking man, with whom he was engaged in most earnest conversation, and his look was grave and deeply absorbed. He did not know of Kate's presence in New York, and passed the house in utter unconsciousness of the eyes watching him. Kate's lips grew white, and her limbs seemed suddenly weak, but she strained her face against the window to watch the retreating figure of the man who had almost been her husband. How well she knew the familiar outline! How fine and handsome he appeared now! Why had she not thought so before? Were her eyes blind, or had she been under some strange enchantment? Why had she not known that her happiness lay in the way that had been marked out for her? Well, at least she knew it now. She sat all day by that window and watched. She professed to have no appetite when pressed to come to the table, though she permitted herself to languidly consume the bountiful tray of good things that was brought her, but her eyes were on the street. She was watching to see if David would pass that way again. But though she watched till the sun went down and dusk sifted through the streets, she saw no sign nor heard the sound of his footsteps. Then she hastened up to her room, which faced upon the street also, and there, wrapped in blankets, she sat in the cold frosty air, waiting and listening. And while she watched, she was thinking bitter feverish thoughts. She heard Harry Temple knock and knew that he was told that she was not feeling well and had retired early. She watched him pause on the stoop thoughtfully, as if considering what to do with the time thus unexpectedly thrown upon his hands, then saw him saunter up the street unconcernedly, and she wondered idly where he would go and what he would do. It grew late even for New York. One by one, the lights in the houses along the street went out, and all was quiet. She drew back from the window at last, weary with excitement and thinking, and lay down on the bed, but she could not sleep. 
the window was open and her ears were on the alert and by and by there came the distant echo of feet ringing on the pavement someone was coming she sprang up she felt sure he was coming yes there were two men they were coming back together she could hear their voices she fancied she heard david's long before it was possible to distinguish any words she leaned far out of her upper window till she could discern dim forms under the starlight and then just as they were under the window she distinctly heard david say there is no doubt but we shall win the right is on our side and it is the march of progress some of the best men in congress are with us and now that we are to have your influence i do not feel afraid of the issue they had passed by rapidly like two men who had been on a long day's jaunt of some kind and were hastening home to rest there was little in the sentence that kate could understand she had no more idea whether the subject of their discourse was railroads or the last hay crop the sentence meant to her but one thing it showed that david companioned with the great men of the land and his position would have given her a standing that would have been above the one she now occupied. Tears of defeat ran down her cheeks. She had made a bad mistake, and she saw no way to rectify it. If her husband should die, and it might be, for the sea was often treacherous, of course there were all sorts of possibilities, but even then there was Marcia. She set her sharp little teeth into her red lips till the blood came. She could not get over her anger at Marcia. It would not have been so bad if David had remained her lone-lorn lover, ready to fly to her if others failed. Her self-love was wounded sorely, and she, poor silly soul, mistook it for love of David. She began to fancy that after all she had loved him, and that fate had somehow played her a mad trick and tied her to a husband she had not wanted. Then out of the watchings of the day and the fancies of the night, there grew a thought, and the thought widened into a plan. She thought of her intimacy with Harry and her new-found power. Might she perhaps exercise it over others as well as Harry Temple? Might she possibly lead back this man who had once been her lover to bow at her feet again and worship her? If that might be, she could bear all the rest. She began to long with intense craving to see David grovel at her feet, to hear him plead for a kiss from her, and tell her once more how beautiful she was, and how she fulfilled all his soul's ideals. She sat by the open window yet with the icy air of the night blowing upon her, but her cheeks burned red in the darkness, and her eyes glowed like coals of fire from the tawny framing of her fallen hair. The blanket slipped away from her throat, and still she heeded not the cold, but sat with hot clenched hands planning with the devil's own strategy her shameless scheme. By and by she lighted a candle and drew her writing materials toward her to write, but it was long she sat and thought before she finally wrote the hastily scrawled note, signed and sealed it, and blowing out her candle lay down to sleep. The letter was addressed to David, and it ran thus. Dear David, I have just heard that you are in New York. I am in great distress and do not know where to turn for help. For the sake of what we have been to each other in the past, will you come to me? Hastily, your loving Kate. 
she did not know where david was but she felt reasonably sure she could find out his address in the morning there was a small boy living next door who was capable of ferreting out almost anything for money kate had employed him more than once as an amateur detective in cases of minor importance so with a bit of silver and her letter she made her way to his familiar haunts and explained most carefully that the letter was to be delivered to no one but the man to whom it was addressed naming several stopping places where he might be likely to be found and hinting that there was more silver to be forthcoming when he should bring her an answer to the note with a minute description of david the keen-eyed urchin set out while kate betook herself to her room to dress for david's coming she felt sure he would be found and confident that he would come at once the icy wind of the night before blowing on her exposed throat and chest had given her a severe cold but she paid no heed to that her eyes and cheeks were shining with fever she knew she was entering upon a dangerous and unholy way the excitement of it stimulated her she felt she did not care for anything right or wrong sin or sorrow only to win she wanted to see david at her feet again it was the only thing that would satisfy this insatiable longing in her this wounded pride of self when she was dressed she stood before the mirror and surveyed herself she knew she was beautiful and she defied the glass to tell her anything else she raised her chin in haughty challenge to the unseen david to resist her charms she would bring him low before her she would make him forget marcia and his home and his staid puritan notions and all else he held dear but herself he should bend and kiss her hand as harry had done only more warmly for instinctively she felt that his had been the purer life and therefore his surrender would mean more he should do whatever she chose and her eyes glowed with an unhallowed light she had chosen to array herself regally in velvet but in black without a touch of color or of white from her rich frock her slender throat rose daintily like a stem upon which nodded the tempting flower of her face no enameled complexion could have been more striking in its vivid reds and whites and her mass of gold hair made her seem more lovely than she really was for in her face was love of self alluring but heartless and cruel the boy found david as kate had thought he would in one of the quieter hostelries where men of letters were wont to stop when in new york and david read the letter and came at once she had known that he would do that too his heart beat wildly to the exclusion of all other thoughts save that she was in trouble his love his dear one he forgot marcia and the young naval officer and everything but her trouble and before he had reached her house the sorrow had grown in his imagination into some great danger to protect her from which he was hastening she received him alone in the room where harry temple had first called and a moment later harry himself came to knock and inquire for the health of mistress leavenworth and was told that she was very much engaged at present with a gentleman and could not see any one whereupon harry scowled and set himself at a suitable distance from the house to watch who should come out david's face was white as death as he entered 
his eyes shining like dark jewels blazing at her as if he would absorb the vision for the lonely future. She stood and posed, not by any means the picture of broken sorrow he had expected to find from her note, and let the sense of her beauty reach him. There she stood, with the look on her face he had pictured to himself many a time when he had thought of her as his wife. It was the look of love unutterable, bewildering, alluring, compelling. It was so he had thought she would meet him when he came home to her from his daily business cares. And now she was there, looking that way, and he stood here, so near her, and yet a great gulf fixed. It was heaven and hell met together, and he had no power to change either. He did not come over to her and bow low to kiss the white hand as Harry had done, as she had thought she could compel him to do. He only stood and looked at her with the pain of an anguish beyond her comprehension until the look would have burned through to her heart if she had had a heart. "'You are in trouble,' he spoke hoarsely, as if murmuring an excuse for having come. She melted at once into the loveliest sorrow, her mobile features taking on a wan cast only enlivened by the glow of her cheeks. "'Sit down,' she said, you were so good to come to me, and so soon. And her voice was like lily bells in a quiet churchyard among the headstones. She placed him in a chair. Yes, I am in trouble, but that is a slight thing compared to my unhappiness. I think I am the most miserable creature that breathes upon this earth. And with that she dropped into a low chair and hid her glowing face in a dainty, lace-bordered kerchief that suppressed a well-timed sob. Kate had wisely calculated how she could reach David's heart. If she had looked up then and seen his white, drawn look, and the tense grasp of his hands that only the greatest self-control kept quiet on his knee, perhaps even her mercilessness would have been softened. But she did not look, and she felt her part was well taken. She sobbed quietly and waited, and his hoarse voice asked once more, as gently as a woman's through his pain, Will you tell me what it is, and how I can help you? He longed to take her in his arms like a little child and comfort her, but he might not. She was another's, and perhaps that other had been cruel to her. His clenched fists showed how terrible was the thought. But still the bowed figure in its piteous black sobbed, and did not reply anything except, Oh, I am so unhappy! I can't bear it any longer! Is your, your husband unkind to you? The words tore themselves from his tense lips, as though they were beyond his control. Oh, no, not exactly unkind. That is, he was not very nice before he went away wailed out a sad voice from behind the linen cambric and lace, and he went away without a kind word, and left me hardly any money, and he hasn't sent me any word since, and fa father won't have anything to do with me any more, but, but it's not that I mind, David. I don't think about those things at all. I am so unhappy about you. I feel you do not forgive me, and I cannot stand it any longer. I have made a fearful mistake, and you are angry with me. I think about it at night. The voice was growing lower now, 
and the sentences broken by sobs that told better than words what distress the sufferer could convey. I have been so wicked, and you were so good and kind, and now you will never forgive me. I think it will kill me to keep on thinking about it. Her voice trailed off in tears again. David, white with anguish, sprang to his feet. Oh, Kate, he cried, my darling, don't talk that way. You know I forgive you. Look up and tell me you know I forgive you. Almost she smiled her triumph beneath her sobs in the little lace border, but she looked up with real tears on her face. Even her tears obeyed her will. She was a good actress, also she knew her power over David. Oh, David, she cried, standing up and clasping her hands beseechingly, can it be true? Do you really forgive me? Tell me again. She came and stood temptingly near to the stern, suffering man, wild with the tumult that raged within him. Her golden head was near his shoulder, where it had rested more than once in time gone by. He looked down at her from his suffering height, his arms folded tightly, and said, as though taking an oath before a court of justice, I do. She looked up with her pleading blue eyes, like two jewels of light now, questioning whether she might yet go one step further. Her breath came quick and soft, he fancied it touched his cheek, though she was not tall enough for that. She lifted her tear-wet face like a flower after a storm, and pleaded with her eyes once more, saying in a whisper very soft and sweet, If you really forgive me, then kiss me just once, so I may remember it always. It was more than he could bear. He caught her to himself and pressed his lips upon hers in one frenzied kiss of torture. It was as if wrung from him against his will. Then suddenly it came upon him what he had done as he held her in his arms, and he put her from him gently, as a mother might put away the precious child she was sacrificing tenderly, agonizingly, but finally. He put her from him thus, and stood a moment looking at her, while she almost sparkled her pleasure at him through the tears. She felt that she had won. But gradually the silence grew ominous. She perceived he was not smiling. His mien was like one who looks into an open grave, and gazes for the last time at all that remains of one who is dear. He did not seem like one who had yielded a moral point, and was ready now to serve her as she would. She grew uneasy under his gaze. She moved forward and put out her hands, inviting, yielding, as only such a woman could do, and the spell which bound him seemed to be broken. He fumbled for a moment in his waistcoat pocket, and brought out a large roll of bills which he laid upon the table, and taking up his hat, turned toward the door. A cold wave of weakness seemed to pass over her, stung here and there by mortal pride that was in fear of being wounded beyond recovery. "'Where are you going?' she asked weakly, and her voice sounded to her from miles away and strange. He turned and looked at her again, and she knew the look meant farewell. He did not speak. Her whole being rose for one more mighty effort. "'You are not going to leave me now?' 
There was angelic sweetness in the voice, pleading, reproachful, piteous. I must, he said, and his voice sounded harsh. I have just done that for which, were I your husband, I would feel like killing any other man. I must protect you against yourself, against myself. You must be kept pure before God if it kills us both. I would gladly die if that could help you, but I am not even free to do that, for I belong to another. Then he turned and was gone. Kate's hands fell to her sides and seemed stiff and lifeless. The bright color faded from her cheeks, and a cold frenzy of horror took possession of her. Pure before God! She shuddered at the name, and crimson shame rolled over forehead and cheek. She sat in a little heap on the floor, with her face buried in the chair beside which she had been standing, and the waters of humiliation rolled wave on wave above her. She had failed, and for one brief moment she was seeing her own sinful heart as it was. But the devil was there also. He whispered to her now the last sentence that David had spoken. I belong to another. Up to that moment, Marcia had been a very negative factor in the affair to Kate's mind. She had been annoyed and angry at her, as one whose ignorance and impertinence had brought her into an affair where she did not belong. But now she suddenly faced the fact that Marcia must be reckoned with. Marcia the child, who had for years been her slave and done her bidding, had arisen in her way, and she hated her with a sudden vindictive hate that would have killed without flinching if the opportunity had presented at that moment. Kate had no idea how utterly uncontrolled was her whole nature. She was at the mercy of any passing passion. Hate and revenge took possession of her now. With flashing eyes, she rose to her feet, brushing her tumbled hair back and wiping away angry tears. She was too much agitated to notice that someone had knocked at the front door and had been admitted, and when Harry Temple walked into the room, he found her standing so with hands clenched together and tears flowing down her cheeks unchecked. Now a woman in tears, when the tears were not caused by his own actions, was Harry's opportunity. He had ways of comforting which were as unscrupulous as they generally proved effective, and so, with affectionate tenderness, he took Kate's hand and held it impressively, calling her dear. He spoke soothing words, smoothed her hair, and kissed her flushed cheeks and eyes. It was all very pleasant to Kate's hurt pride. She let Harry comfort her and pet her a while, and at last he said, Now tell me all about it, dear. I saw Lord Spafford trail dejectedly away from here looking like death, and I came here to find my lady in a fine fury. What has happened? If I mistake not, the insufferable cad has got badly hurt, but it seems to have ruffled the lady also. This helped. It was something to feel that David was suffering. She wanted him to suffer. He had brought shame and humiliation upon her. She never realized that the thing that shamed her was that he thought her better than she was. He is offensively good. I hate him, she remarked as a kitten might who had got hurt at playing with a mouse in a trap. The man's face grew bland with satisfaction. Not so good, my lady, but that he was making love to you, 
if I mistake not, and he with a wife at home. The words were said quietly, but there was more of a question in them than the tone conveyed. The man wished to have evidence against his enemy. Kate colored uneasily and drooped her lashes. Harry studied her face keenly, and then went on cautiously. If his wife were not your sister, I should say that one might punish him well through her. Kate gave him a hard, scrutinizing look. You have some score against him yourself, she said with conviction. Perhaps I have, my lady. Perhaps I, too, hate him. He is offensively good, you know. There was silence in the room for a full minute, while the devil worked in both hearts. What did you mean by saying one might punish him through his wife? He does not love his wife. Are you sure? Quite sure. Perhaps he loves someone else, my lady. He does, she said it proudly. Perhaps he loves you, my lady. He said it softly, like the suggestion from another world. The lady was silent, but he needed no other answer. Then, indeed, the way would be even clearer. Were not his wife your sister? Kate looked at him, a half-knowledge of his meaning beginning to dawn in her eyes. How? she asked laconically. In case his wife should leave him, do you think my lord would hold his head so high? Kate still looked puzzled. If someone else should win her affection, and should persuade her to leave a husband who did not love her, and who was bestowing his heart, he hesitated an instant, and his eye travelled significantly to the roll of bills still lying where David had left them, and his gifts, he hazarded, upon another woman. Kate grasped the thought at once, and an evil glint of eagerness showed in her eyes. She could see what an advantage it would be to herself to have Marcia removed from the situation. It would break one more cord of honor that bound David to a code which was hateful to her now, because its existence shamed her. Nevertheless, unscrupulous as she was, she could not see how this was a possibility. But she is offensively good, too, she said, as if answering her own thoughts. All goodness has its weak spot, sneered the man. If I mistake not, you have found my lord's. It is possible I might find his wife's. The two pairs of eyes met then, filled with evil light. It was as if for an instant they were permitted to look into the pit and see the possibilities of wickedness and exult in it. The lurid glare of their thoughts played in their faces. All the passion of hate and revenge rushed upon Kate in a frenzy. With all her heart she wished this might be. She looked her cooperation in the plan even before her hard voice answered, You need not stop because she is my sister. He felt he had her permission, and he permitted himself a glance of admiration for the depths to which she could go without being daunted. Here was evil courage worthy of his teaching. She seemed to him beautiful enough and daring enough for Satan himself to admire. And may I have the pleasure of knowing that I would by so doing serve my lady in some wise? She drooped her shameless eyes and murmured guardedly, Perhaps. 
Then she swept him a coquettish glance that meant they understood one another. Then I shall feel well rewarded, he said gallantly, and bowing with more than his ordinary flattery of look, bade her good day and went out. End of chapter 21